So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When Christ and his glory is revealed, we will be revealed with him in his glory. These are rich and profound words of Advent hope. Hope that we ourselves will be the place where God's glory will be revealed. It's a real joy to be in a seminary where people are set aside, especially to seek the things that are above, to drink deeply from the wells of the Christian tradition, to wrestle in the presence of God and one another with the mysteries of faith. As I prepared to speak here today, I thought it's, it's such a gift to be with all of you and to be in this place the last couple of days I've been here. What gift do I have for you? I thought maybe I could bring you a bit of a dispatch from the front, the front that I've been working. And since it's Advent, the week of hope, maybe I could bring you a word of hope. I work in church conflict. And church conflict and hope don't always go together. At the Colossian Forum, we try to see the opportunity in conflict that conflict itself might be used as a catalyst for discipleship and even witness. And if conflict is opportunity, wow, are we awash in opportunity. But if we have been given, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation, if this is what we have been given, then there is nothing more needful, beautiful, and hopeful today than that ministry. And this is what we have been given. <clears throat> this ministry of reconciliation. That is the word of hope that our world is desperate to see amidst all of its fragmentation and polarization. We live in times that it's hard to hope. Indeed, the list of vices in Colossians 3, seems to be pulled straight from our news feeds. Put to death, therefore, whatever you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. This sounds like the entertainment industry. And anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. This is our public discourse. Fragmented, divisive, ugly. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. I don't know about you, but I can feel that wrath in my bones. In our world today, amidst all of the fragmentation and war and polarization in our country, in this country, loneliness, isolation, Despair, suicide, these are on the rise. These are the wrath of God in our midst. Health insurance companies now identify loneliness as a disease equivalent to smoking. Our society is long, is short on hope. 
and long on despair. They need the ministry of reconciliation. In this country, uh, as Arthur Brooks has done a lot of research on polarization, he said, this country is more divided than any time since the Civil War. It's hard to hope. Those that disagree with us very quickly move from conversation partners into suspicious characters of ill repute. Our, our emotional response to those that disagree with us is, is dislike. It's affective polarization. It's not just our intellect, but our emotions. We attribute to those who agree with us noble motives and to ourselves, but to those we disagree with, nefarious These are signs of a culture of contempt in which it is hard to hope. The politics of contempt is to treat those with whom we disagree as inferior, as absurd, as incompetent, beneath the worth of even engaging. It is the antithesis of a politics of hospitality is the antithesis to how God treated us while we were yet sinners. And this culture of contempt doesn't stay out there in the world, but it's infesting our denominations and congregations and worshiping communities and even our families. Reuters News reported that one in six people is no longer speaking to a family member since the last election, presidential election. I'm guessing that most of us have people, if not many people, at least one person in our life that we're at odds with, perhaps over one of the hot contemporary political topics, gay marriage, immigration, climate. I would invite you to in the presence of God and with your brothers and sisters, think of that person. I know there's probably more than one, but just choose one. And think of that person and just hold them in your mind and in your heart before God. This is worthy of lament. It hurts to be alienated from people we love. This is a time in which it's hard to hope And lament is what we bring before God in this time of brokenness as the people of God. We lament the brokenness in our midst. The church is struggling to be a ministry of reconciliation that the world is so desperate for. For the most part, we seem to be copying the wider culture in all of its vitriol and combativeness. It's not hard with a few questions to figure out that somebody's political views and their, and their theological views are probably pretty much the same. And we can just do the math after a couple of questions and figure out whether or not that person's worth engaging, whether or not I want to entrust that person with my friendship. We do this, we mimic the wider culture while we hail the Prince of Peace as our God and King. We 
We're happy to call one another and those in the world out on sins like fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. But those devices of anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, and lies that we direct towards those with whom we hold in contempt run riot. We are watching the devastation of our churches and denominations under the wrath of God. The politics of empire and the politics of contempt, the need to win at all costs, has supplanted the politics of hospitality. David Fitch says in his book, Faithful Presence, reconciliation is so central to the good news of what God has done in Christ that to see no reconciliation in our churches suggests that there is no gospel in them. I don't believe that to be true. But before we can hope, we need to stop and lament. It's difficult to hope in a culture of contempt. But when we lament, we bring it before God. And we ask, God, what are you going to do? What would it mean for us to be reconciled to that person? What would it feel like to have whatever's between us removed? Can we even imagine it anymore? What does it mean to be the people of God in a culture of contempt? The hope of Advent strains our imaginations. Just like when Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you are going to be with child and you're going to bear the Messiah. And she says, what now? You do know that I'm a virgin. And the Holy Spirit overshadows her. It strains the imagination when God is about to do a new thing. What might God do now? In this passage in Colossians, Paul is saying, set aside the old world and embrace the new. Embrace the new. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, Scythian, barbarian, all together. All in Christ is all in all. This, this Christ in which we're hidden is going to be revealed when we are together like that. And he's pointing it out. He's saying, already, here's the foretaste. This is what it looks like. It's when all of this vast diversity of people are gathered in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is all in all. It seems beyond our wildest imagination. It seems a virgin pregnancy is more likely. Are we willing to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit? For we cannot simply flip a switch and make these go away. We cannot simply become compassionate, kind, meek, patient people as Paul calls us to. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the stripping away of the old self and its practices of contempt to put on Christ. How does this happen? What if the conflict with that person you love is the opportunity that you've been waiting for, for the Spirit to overshadow the two of you and do a new thing? What if all of the energy in our culture could be harnessed by situating these conflicts within and under the reign of Christ? It's a difficult, counterintuitive hope. 
But we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Everything we need, we have been given to clothe ourselves in love, to let peace rule in our hearts, and the word of Christ dwell richly in us. But how? What does it look like? I think it's actually right here in the text. But if you're anything like me, when I read the text, I'm looking for the argument to convince that person to agree with me. I'm looking for ammunition to end the debate with a victory, mine. We're not looking for a spiritual practice that would make us vulnerable to those folks that make us so uncomfortable, vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. We're not, we're not quite ready to take up the way of the cross. Maybe after we win the argument. But I think it's right here in verse 16. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our heart. Doing everything, word and deed, in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Everything, word and deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus. What would that look like? I think it's, I think it's right here. It's right in front of us. If I could rephrase that, into a spiritual practice of conflict transformation, I would say it like this. And I think this is faithful to what's being said here. We gather first and foremost in the name of Jesus. We practice our faith together, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And in that context, we also engage in our conflicts. We gather in the name of Jesus. We practice engaging our conflicts as acts of worship. And then we witness to what the Spirit is doing in our midst. It's not rocket science, but wow, is it hard. What, what is that? What, why, why gather practice witness? What is this, how, does this, how is this faithful to the text? Teaching and admonishing one another doesn't happen in the abstract. It doesn't happen via Twitter feed or Facebook. It's done within the shared context of people gathered in the name of Jesus, proclaiming him Lord of all, where he is all in all. When we gather in the name of Jesus, instead of as Republicans or Democrats or conservatives or liberals. When we gather in the name of Jesus, all our false allegiances are put aside and we can hold each other accountable then to that which Christ and Christ alone calls us to. Which is love of God, love of neighbor, gentleness, humility, patience, forbearance, the fruit of the Spirit. So what would it look like if we're gathered in the name of Jesus where the goal of that engagement, knowing we're going to engage in our conflict, is not to win, Because Christ has already won. But to testify to that victory by being willing to lay down our arguments, if not our lives, for the truth of the gospel. What would it mean if the goal of the engagement at the end of our conversation wasn't to have convinced everybody that we're right, but that both of us would walk away with a deeper love of God and love of neighbor? How might that change the way that we engage that person? If we've gathered in the name of Jesus, if we've practiced arguing as an act of worship with the goal of deepening love of God and love of neighbor, then we want to witness to the world what has happened. If you gather in the name of Jesus in this way, I guarantee you the spirit will move in your midst and you will witness through praise of what God has done. But I also guarantee you, if you're going to gather in the name of Jesus to love one another across your deep differences, things are going to go really badly too really badly at times. And you know, we're, you know what? We're the people that can get it wrong. 
Because we are not only given life, we are forgiven. We are the people who can confess our sins. And God is glorified whether we're right or we're wrong. We can confess our sins. We are the people that can get it wrong together. So that when we're together seeking to deepen love of God and love of neighbor and it doesn't happen, we can say it honestly to each other. We can lament before God our brokenness. We can confess that, that when I said that I was out of line or when I heard that, that really hurt. These are the basic practices of the Christian faith given to us to be part of the ministry of reconciliation. Gather in his name. Practice. Witness, which includes praise, lament, and ultimately hope. What has happened today in our relationship? If you're in conversation with that person, what has happened today that I want to give thanks for, lament? And what are we going to hope for together? What do we hope for together? Because we're going to do this again next week and the week after. Because I will not be separated from the body of Christ or see you separated from the body of Christ. What would happen if the church, instead of mimicking the world, became the place the world looked to for its ministry of reconciliation? 93% of Americans are dying to do better, long for a better way. The ministry of reconciliation is ours to offer the world. And I would invite you this Advent to consider engaging that person on a journey and begin, gather with them explicitly in the name of Jesus. Speak honestly about your differences. Listen carefully with the goal of deeper love of God and love of neighbor and then witness to what's happened. I would challenge you to step into the ministry of reconciliation I have experienced time and time again with congregations and denominations and Christian organizations across the country and even across the world now where the Holy Spirit has overshadowed a barren, rocky, desolate situation. And as those present made themselves vulnerable as Mary did to the Spirit. The Spirit overshadowed them and did a new thing. Time and time again, I have seen the Spirit work reconciliation and work new creation. And this is what the world needs to see. We've trained over 200 people. A thousand, over 1,000 people have been through this, and the hunger is there. The opportunity is there. We cannot find enough slots to serve. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is the hope that we have to offer the world and the hope that I offer you to say it's real. I've tasted it over and over again and I want you to taste it as well. I, whatever you do, in word or in deed, in conversation with that person, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. It is my Advent prayer that you would experience the joy and the power of the gospel of reconciliation in the small place with that person. And that would be the beginning of a new inbreaking, a new Advent, a new incarnation this year. Thank you.